Hi, I'm Liz. And I'm Marie. And this is Mock It, a podcast from MetroStar, where we take a deep dive into UX design, trending design topics, and making our work transform the government. Let's get started. Awesome. Thanks, Marie. Thanks for kicking us off. So today, this is uh, episode 10, and we will be talking about design leadership. And we have a very special guest. Eva, how's Welcome. it going? Welcome. Hi, thank uh, you for having me. Thank you for being here. Uh, do you want to take a second to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Eva Hudson. I am the uh, Senior Manager for um, Experience Strategy for the Health Business Unit at MetroStar. And um, I have been in the design field for about seven plus years. And uh, I'm very excited to be here and chat with you about design leadership. Awesome. Yeah, we're, we're super stoked to have you here, get your expertise. Yeah. So we have a uh, fun-filled episode of questions where we might, <laughs> might seem like we're grilling you. but I, Yeah, when I looked at it, I was like, oh, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're <clears throat> very pumped to get into it. Excellent. <laughs> I'm ready, I think. So uh, to kick us off and sort of do a baseline for um, this podcast, could you give us a brief introduction into what design leadership is and how you've seen it? work its way up into the C-suite over the last few years? Yeah, so um, it's a design leadership is an interesting term in terms of a specific definition. I think it varies based on who you ask. Um, and then I think that's something very uh, common in the design world. If you ask somebody what's a UX designer, mm -hmm. it depends on who you ask, right? So. Design leadership, I think, has a similar faith for, for better or worse. Um, I personally like um, Jared Spool's definition of design leadership, um, which is uh, roughly that as long as uh, you have people who follow you, then you are a leader. So if you have, regardless of title, positioning, seniority, if you have people who find your ideas of value and want to follow your lead and your thought leadership, then you mm -hmm. are a leader. And I think that it's a simple uh, definition that cuts across any sort of organizational bureaucracy uh, that you know may prevent people who want to be in leadership from feeling like they're in leadership because they don't have the right title. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate that perspective and uh, that's kind of what I've adopted in my in my style and my perception of design leadership. It makes it like more accessible. Like, you know, you don't have to be a leader because you have a title and you have direct reports, but yeah, anyone can be a leader. Yeah. And, and uh, Jared talks a lot about how being a manager and having a title that may be associated with leadership does not automatically make you a leader. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've had experiences where you've worked with under or with people who have titles or have been in position of seniority where you didn't feel like you want to follow them. You just didn't feel like that's somebody that uh, you agree with or somebody that can benefit you in your career. Mm -hmm. um, it's just leadership doesn't come with a title. It's a more of a soft power, more organic than uh, something that you're just given in yeah. a way. And it's also something you grow um, mm -hmm. into um, over time. So it's not... It, yeah, it doesn't come with a promotion or years of experience. Cool. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, this is like a, skipping around a little bit of promo, promo, promo some of the questions, or this is a perfect se segue of what um, you just said. Um, if you don't mind telling us the first time that you felt like a leader in your career in, within the UX field. Mm. Excellent question. 
when did I first feel like a leader? Um, I think I think it was in a in a in a position I had um, about five ish years ago, um, where I um, sort of self initiated uh, a brown bag. Uh, exercise for uh, across the organization that I was working in to educate people on human-centered design in UX. Uh, the challenge I was seeing was that um, uh, the people we were working with who were outside of the digital team weren't fully understanding why do they need a UX person? What is the UX role? You know, they hear the term human-centered design, but they didn't really understand how that applies to them. Like, there was essentially an artificial divide between the digital team and the rest of the organization. And I wanted to bridge that. And so I started these uh, brown bags during lunchtime where it was sort of like a free open forum one-on-one conversation. I invited the whole organization. So folks who were interested in learning more came to the events. And um, over time, the events sort of became popular. People started talking to each other about them. And um, I kind of, I guess I grew a following and I was, <laughs> nice. you know, build a name for myself. So um, in that way, I think that was the first time where I felt like I better be careful about what I say because people are actually listening. And that and that's, a, you know, it's an exciting thing, but it's also a big responsibility. So historically, uh, designers have struggled to get a seat at the decision making. Uh, no, Liz is like looking at me. Um, great for those you haven't listened to our podcast, I am also a designer, um, recently have been promoted to design team manager. Um, but yeah, so historically, and I, I have felt this through my career of how do you get to the table where the decisions are being made? Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you've seen it incorporated, the designers getting there. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Um, so the table where decisions are being made is an interesting concept. Uh, because now it's like the phone call, right? Being right. Virtual. We don't really have tables <laughs> right now. now. I suppose you have a table at home, but yeah. you're kind of by yourself. So the Zoom link on which decisions are yeah. made. We're going to cut off Zoom. The online platform, platform meeting link. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's really... Um, it's really been a journey, I think. And uh, we covered some of these topics on DC Design Week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was a really good um, conversation with not just designers, but also developers and project managers. And I think that was um, that was particularly effective because I think the way designers get a seat at the table is when they're perceived as valuable as developers and PMs. Um, and build these relationships with other team members in a cross-functional team where it's not a power dynamic where designers execute a vision that comes from leadership or the PM or the client. They are an integral part of facilitating the conversation around what the vision should be and are uh, the, the person or the team that owns the vision in terms of creating assets that communicate that vision and align the team throughout the stages of development and design back to that vision. So I, I think that um, when companies 
start realizing that the power that designers have in that role of being like the the owner and facilitator of the vision rather than just executing vis- like actual visuals and graphic design mm-hmm. i think that's when uh they become they they're perceived um as equal parts to pms and developers and and as important if not even more important than those roles so um for that to happen i think designers need to do a lot of legwork um ahead of time you know it's we talk about empathy a lot and uh honestly the best way to to get a seat at that table is to empathize with what the rest of the team is going through and why they may or may not uh think to involve you in these decisions because it it may not be that they intentionally choose to ignore you it may be that they don't understand what you do to mm-hmm. know to to invite you right to yeah. these conversations so it's it's um it, the onus is on us to educate people about what we do educate ourselves about what they do and try to speak a language um in which like we can have compelling messages to people who are not designers to understand um why we should be involved in whatever their world is so it's a it's a complicated process i guess but it's there's no easy one step here's how you get to the decision making table kind of uh recipe i guess yeah so it's it's yeah i get to to reiterate it's it's really educating yourself educating the rest of your team and empathizing with the rest of your team um to really understand how you can best provide value. Yeah, I think the education rate right, is really good and so that means as designers right, you have to be able to communicate not only your design and why you did something but maybe as well as like presenting an alternative design or hey I heard you and I've done it because if you're in a very like strict area say it's really prescribed and they're seeing you as like the production line and some like I started out there at one point um you can get out of it and become more of a leadership role but it is um not just setting off the oh here it is i did it just as you did it you said to do it mm-hmm. um it's like hey can we have a quick chat i've made your updates and it also sparked some other things of consideration um which i think is a helpful indirect way of doing the education for them because then they can see that you're being thoughtful and not mm-hmm. just taking direction um like a one for one, right? You thought about it. Yeah, and that thoughtfulness and that um being proactive in delivering extra value beyond mm-hmm. what they asked you. You know, you went beyond the minimal requirement that you had. Yeah. Those types of actions are signals to others that, you know, you you're ready to take the next level and you want to, you know, push the um understanding of what your role should be and like get to the next level. Absolutely. So, uh I I really enjoy this cuz I get to, I get to be sit between the, the two design gurus here. Uh so um yeah, I love this and I think on our like on our project mm-hmm. there so you are de- like you have are like our design manager like you really lead the team on that mm-hmm. and then like my role is more trying to do some more of like the project management stuff and go sort of that route and I think that like the empathizing that you were discussing Like there would have been tons of times that maybe our two roles would have been like in competition or in conflict or something mm-hmm. but we just like took that out of it and we're yeah. like we're in this together <laughs> like we 
like we just like built upon like that uh, back and forth of like not one to one but like here's your idea here's my idea like here's how we can like merge them and then here's like our idea of like that has like a little something extra that we can bring to the developers or something like that and so that's been how we've handled it on our at least like I have a really like positive like interpret yeah. like how we've handled our sort of very uh, various roles on our project yeah but in your experience and I think and everyone's experience sometimes yeah. conflict does come up and it's not as you know we make it look really smooth at this point because we've been working together for so long and like it's just like natural now yeah. but there um do you have uh, any like tips or tricks on uh, sort of approaching any conflict that comes up between some of these roles that or even resistance oh, right oh, because it's, a, it's an education on like right getting folks to buy in one on you should have a ux team and now like treating them as like oh they are thoughtful they can help with the vision um yeah, yeah. i think in in your example is i think it's a uh, a good example of because you're in a pm role now and uh getting there <laughs> yeah, I mean, your, your title has PM in it. <laughs> uh by PM I mean project manager and um i think your background um in content and design has enabled you to have a like at least a, a if not a good understanding and appreciation for human-centered design and the process and what marie is eating I don't think we, we had to sell you on the value of human centered design in any way. <laughs> no, right? like my master's was in that stuff. Like, that's yeah. why, like, you know, like, I just, like, the, like, the design, and I always say this, like, I feel like you think in design. And, like, that is, like, a yeah. skill that, like, you could have the most academic knowledge of, like, X, Y, or Z, but you're just, like, that's just, like, not your, that's not your skill set. And yeah. it's just, like, amazing, like, how, these teams come together and like there's so much um like constructive thinking that goes into like building a design i think sometimes designers don't get the credit they deserve because it's like oh you made something look pretty and you're like no like there's like hypothesis of design there's human centered design there's like all of these things that go into it that yeah like my design looks great but it wasn't because i'm a like i like, because i picked the right colors or the right fonts that helps but there were other decisions made right I mean, yeah, we can go into, like, what is really the definition of design, right? And I think that's <laughs> fundamentally a, a big challenge in explaining what we do because the connotations with visual design is so strong. Yeah. Um, but in reality, a design is, you know, just intentional choices that shape experiences, right? So mm -hmm. that doesn't have to be just the interface. It has to do with, like, flows, service design, um, you know, even staffing is part of it. If you're or if you're designing an organization or a service, how you do the staffing modeling is part of design. So mm -hmm. it's, I think it's, again, with the education um, piece, we need to promote more of like what all is encompassed under that term and just kind of break the visual design connotation as much as possible. Um, I actually have heard the argument that human-centered designers and people who follow uh, those principles or practice, you know, design thinking methodologies should move away from the word design because it's so strong. Mm. Um, and I, I think we can have a full episode <laughs> on like, is that a good idea? I yeah. have a lot of, I have a lot of thoughts on that and I don't have a clear answer. Um, 
but to go back to your your original question how do you how do you handle conflict um it really i think to me it boils down to to relationship building and being able to have more allies than enemies if you think mm-hmm. of it in very black and white terms um when you go into an organization if you're new or if you're you know are you starting new project with a new team i think one mistake that designers make is go in without much humility kind of going in is mm-hmm. like everybody's you know if you don't understand what i do then that's your problem and if you don't understand why ux is so important then like you don't know anything about it that kind of attitude is not helpful it, i feel like the way you go around building trust and leadership going back to leadership is through humility and empathy and leveling with people meeting them where they are i think designers are really good at talking about you know empathizing with the user and uh, you know doing research to see where the users are and doing contextual inquiries to understand their environment and we do that very seldomly in our like project day to day work i don't know mm-hmm. many designers who when they start a new team, do the due diligence to understand who everybody on their team is, what are their needs, what are their motivations, why are they thinking the way they are, what is their background that informs whether or not they're going to push back on design or not, on design or not. Like mm-hmm. I've had examples with developers who only work with print designers in the back, but you know, in their in their history. Had I not known that, I might have we might have like butted heads because I would have pushed them beyond what they're capable of understanding at this time. So I had to like do some education and then have more advanced conversations with them. Mm-hmm. And that these are, you know, again, it's not, nothing is simple. It takes time, but these are the ways in which you can effectively avoid conflict and build, build allies rather than uh, enemies. Nice. I think that we've been really lucky on our project that uh, our PM always says that like, like, our, like the UX is like uh it's like the cherry on top. That's not yeah. like that's not the exact fra- phrasing. But luxury, but yeah, luxury. It's like little, yeah, it's luxury because it's it's a newer field, right? So right. when she was a developer and stuff, she didn't have UXers. She was the UXer. Yeah, she was. Yeah, <laughs> she was. Um, but she has fully embraced it and just loves, you know, hanging in the background on the calls just to like learn more and listen more. Um, that's great. You guys have been yeah. able to like educate and, and quote unquote convert her into <laughs> our world, which yeah. is which is great. I, I think it is really um, it's a difficult task, and it's something to be celebrated. And I don't think we celebrate it enough because <laughs> it's not like a deliverable, right? But yeah. If you think about it, how much it took to get somebody who doesn't have a, a good understanding of the value to somebody who's an advocate now and can push on our behalf. That's a that's a huge win and it's a really long process. So kudos to y'all. We've, yeah, we've just been we've been we've yeah, been really she's very open to it. Um, I think on our team we're also very open about not necessarily our constraints, but like she's always like I'm a one and zeros person from being a developer, and like I'm a, will always be like I'm about to get really in the weeds. Like <laughs> it is a well known thing that I can not say high level. Really like to get into the nitty gritty of topics. Um, but like we're, our team's gotten really good 
um, right? Because we don't have the nonverbals with being remote. Uh, we have our key phrases that we say to be like, I'm going to get in the weeds real quick and then we can come out of it. Or like, I'm just going to say this or like, I'm going to be stuck here. Now that we need to talk about it, it's not appropriate right now. We'll pin it. Um, but yeah, she's always like, okay, so explain this to me again. Because, um, right. And it's just. But it seems like you use a language that works. Or yeah. Like yeah. Educated or the language that you're using to describe your work. Yeah. We have our key phrases of when we know we need to explain something a little bit more or like we're great we move on to like continue that conversation at whatever level it's at yeah and, and that's a big part of leadership is people trusting you and i think we don't talk about that enough um in the design space i don't think it's like how do you build trust mm-hmm. with everybody you work with like even though people don't understand the full value or they haven't experienced it if you buy if you just by nature of being like empathetic and in in personal with them you build like trust and um the capacity to for them to blindly trust you even if they don't understand what is it that you do they just trust that you're doing the right thing and that's really how you win that's that's it exactly yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah so i have i have a question that i think could apply to all of us and could be its own podcast topic <laughs> But uh, it's our little teasers. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <You're writing them. laughs> I know, right? Rachel, our producer. Yeah. Um, so how I think this is I will first ask you this question. But I think any of us can answer yeah. it. Um, so how has being a woman played into uh, being a leader in your role? <laughs> not a not a small not, you know, just a, just a small question. Like, yeah. <laughs> Okay, feminism in design. <laughs> That's a whole other um, podcast. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. It's an interesting question. It's it's a difficult one to answer uh, in retrospect. Um, I Okay, so I will say when I was starting in the field, I noticed that most individual contributors or people who actually would do the executional work like wireframing, uh, prototyping, etc., were mostly women. And creative directors, art directors were mostly men. And just by the nature of the work, there's more individual contributors than there are directors. So the majority of the field is female. However, the leadership layer is mostly male. So I noticed that early on in my career, a lot of jobs that I had were like led by male, mm-hmm. by men. Um, and it it kind of stung me in a way that kind of made me question, like, can I actually be in those positions eventually? Um, like, I didn't have a lot of examples of women who are in leadership positions in design. Yeah. Um, I still don't know that many women who are like chief design officers or chief experience officers. Um, and again, the, the field is, is, I need to find a quote on that, but I've, Last time I checked, it was in terms of individual contributors, like female dominated. And I think it can be disheartening, um, but I've been fortunate to, first of all, be privileged to be white. <laughs> That's a big deal. Uh, and uh, also have mentors who have kind of put me in a place where I didn't feel like they were judging me because of I'm a woman. They, they kind of put me in the mental place and in this like psychological 
psychologically safe space to not even consider my gender to just keep focusing on the quality of my work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I strive as a, uh, I guess, a person in, in power, some level of power, I suppose. Um, I, I strive to do that for the people who I work with, who are early career folks. I want them to not think about their demographics if they can, just to, or like their self, their identity and, and what, however they self-identify, to focus mm-hmm. on the quality of the work and their, their character first and foremost, so they don't, you know, get disheartened by what they're seeing as examples. Um, and it's not an easy thing to do, and I don't know that I'm particularly successful at it, but it's my, uh, you know, a goal I have. Nice. I think that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, right? That it's a, uh, the socio, socio, socioeconomic. no, the safe space. What was it? Oh, your... um, uh, psychological Psycho- There you go. Yeah. That you're creating psychologically safe spaces, um, right. In a time when we don't have, it's not diverse up in the leadership yeah. um, level. So, and I mean, you can't, I feel like we can't talk about identity as just gender, right? People have yeah. so the cross-sectionality of identity is is hugely important and um, diversity comes in many shapes and forms mm-hmm. and as far as i can tell leadership still looks the same it's like mostly men and mm-hmm. i'm guessing mostly white but i haven't looked at the data <laughs> so we just you know we we have to keep moving the needle uh forward there's a lot of i guess lip service to like for lack of a better word um, you know, it's it's somewhat popular now to talk about diversity and inclusion, but I'm not seeing a lot of it in practice. I think mm-hmm. people like to talk about it, but I don't know that I'm seeing a lot of conscious decisions um, about people, diverse people being promoted, diverse people being hired, and uh, companies, you know, walking the talk. Yeah. So there's a lot of work to be done there. Yeah, we've had an episode about mm-hmm. it, and even um, both, right, from like, the human resources aspect, which is very important, but also like the culture or like forms that you come across. Like that's another (laughs) place to start at, like of just all the different touch points um, that you could really touch on being more diverse, more inclusive. Um, I would agree with you, right? It's still very, um, yeah, they haven't been updated. Yeah. And and again, like we're so since I've been at MetroStar, I've been on one project and I've had mm-hmm. my my two PMs that I work with on a daily basis. They are like su- they are very inclusive. They are very much about diversity. And also one of our PMs is a female mm-hmm. who she is all about making sure that like she pumps you up. She she pumps everyone up on the team, but also like having a woman to look up to is just like she like she's just like a powerhouse. Like and it's like someone that you can be like oh, that is like an example. I can be like that too. Mm -hmm. And so like, it just, it's really, it's been vital for me to see someone who is just like, just like owns the room. And it's like- And is your advocate and yeah. Yeah, Yeah, having good role models is absolutely fundamental to like how you perceive yourself and your future. When you see it, you're like, yes, that. Otherwise it's difficult to just imagine yourself being somebody you have nothing in common with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that we we, we condensed a uh, 
a full podcast into a, a good few minutes. So thanks for everyone's vulnerability with that one. I know that can be a, be a hard one. Um, what would you say are some skills that a designer should have or should learn to embark on a leadership path? I should have prepared. I have these questions. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, this is um, another one that could be a its own podcast. But I would say the the most important skills are um, largely people skills um, and followed closely by business acumen, understanding how your organization makes money how they <laughs> because we live in a capitalist society at the end of the day yeah. organizations need to move forward uh and grow and these are forces that if you choose to ignore as a designer we're probably not going to be very successful as designers we're not going to be very successful so i would say people skills being number one and what i mean by people skills is um you know educating yourself on um what is, for example, psychological safety? How mm -hmm. do you make sure that the people that make your team are positioned as best as possible to be successful, to execute their craft, to be productive, to feel valuable as part of a you know larger vision, larger group? Um, you know, learning about group dynamics. You had an episode on, on um, norming, storming, performing. <laughs> yes. And yeah. Learning, uh, and. Uh, yeah, so knowing these things is absolutely important to to leading others, to making sense of of change in team dynamics. Um, so self education is key because I know they don't, at least they didn't used to teach that in design school. Um, that's something that you constantly have to self teach yourself. Um, and yeah, the the second thing being business acumen, understanding what your uh, executives are interested in what are their pers you know, um, perspectives and objectives and what do they expect from you or your team in terms of business growth. These are things, again, that you don't learn in, in design school, but they are absolutely paramount to, to success as a leader. Yeah, I think um, I really liked when you mentioned earlier about, right, we do all this building empathy for our users and finding out their needs and goals, right? Um, we didn't learn the leadership part in design, but there are skills and like in our toolbox mm -hmm. that we can do, right? Like I should, if I'm taking on a leadership role because right, I want to help people grow or right. I want to grow into that. Um, you know, just finding out what individuals on my teams, their needs, their goals, or, um, you highlighted why a developer is pushing back on something. Um, right. Cause people don't wake up in the morning or like, I'm going to be a blocker today. Right? <laughs> there, there's more to it than like, and you can just hear like, oh man, someone's pushing back. Like, why is that? Mm -hmm. And so we should take all that interest that we have and what we want to develop for our users and empathy and take it to our teammates mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. I definitely think that you've, uh, you've really worked hard on that skill because like, I noticed like for like different teammates, like you talk to them differently based on like their skill level. Like, like for instance, like on our UX team, I did not go to design school. So you, like you and some of our other UX designers and architects can have a conversation about like design theory. And I am like, what is going on? But then like <laughs> Marie will like circle back with me and be like, and like 
like really like explain it as like a novice would so you definitely like i think you like really work hard at making sure that there is that like like empathy for people who may not be at the same level which i appreciate so cool well um one to wrap up this like this question with some of the cross-functionality and sort of this this empathy um where like why do you think designers should invest in this emotional intelligence like like why is this so important i think unless you are um you have the emotional intelligence to be self-aware and understand your shortcomings um it's difficult to be able to empathize with others i think if you don't um have you know the, the realizations that you're not perfect not everything you do is you know the best thing ever um and constantly check yourself about you know biases that you may have mm-hmm, or you know mistakes that you've made and how do you not how do you not make them again kind of having like internal retros i think um that level of, of personal retrospection and, and personal growth um kind of enables the rest of the team to 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 look at you going through this and kind of use you as an example as a leader um, on how they can you know improve and do better so i think it's really impossible to be a leader going back to the definition of mm-hmm. a leader being a soft skill that you can't just impose on somebody i really think it's impossible to be a leader if you're not compassionate and self-aware because i think Nobody wants, nobody is inspired by egocentric, uh, you know, people who are just there for themselves. And like, we call them the heroes, right? Like the people that always know it all, right? (laughs) Nobody's inspired by that. And that that doesn't, it's not effective long term and it doesn't lead to creativity and, um, you know, Mm -hmm. all the good things that we're going for as a designer uh, community. Nice. Cool. And then um, I have two sort of wrap-up questions for you as uh, we bring, we take you out of the hot seat a little bit. Uh, so you've during this podcast, you've mentioned that sometimes the government does lag in um, in this particular field. Can you talk a bit about where you feel the future of design leadership in government is and where it's going? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the future of design leadership in government is very bright. I think it's a... Uh, I think it's an up-and-coming uh, skill set that is yet to be realized, that, that has yet to realize full potential in the government space. I've seen clients having so many more aha moments in the last like two years than I have in the prior five or six. I think the community, the design community in the federal space has done an excellent job um, to promote the value and to showcase the value of design. At the end of the day, the proof's in the pudding. So when we continuously deliver good work using human-centered design, that brings to more work. And then people pay attention, they notice. And other agencies are, I've had um, specific examples of of an agency look at something we created for another agency mm-hmm. uh, and literally reach out to us and say, we want that, make that for us. And that was the product of a lot of research and iteration and um, ideation that we did at MetroStar 
And that is how I think we shift the culture is like when you actually show the outcomes that our customers are interested in mm-hmm. and be it making it replicable and scaling all of our practices to be able to support their missions. And I think we're positioned very well to to do that at MetroStar. Uh, so what advice do you have for future designers that are looking to get into design um, first in the industry and then like a spe- like design specific role? Your portfolio is not as important as you think it is. <laughs> we were just saying that earlier today. Yeah. <laughs> Some uh, validation. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's a, that's another sh- culture shift that we're yeah. experiencing as a design community because I think the value of our work, again, it comes with the whole leadership growth um, of, of our industry in general. The value of design skill sets is moving from visual design to facilitation, strategy, Mm -hmm. and team leadership. And you can't necessarily showcase that in a portfolio, a traditional design portfolio. Now, it's not like portfolios don't have value. You can describe case studies and, you know, describe specifically how you uh, made decisions that impacted the bottom line. You know, these are all good things to to document for yourself. But I think um, the traditional perspective or perception is that a portfolio is about your visual skills. And that is less and less important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely more like critical thinking, problem yeah, solving. Yeah. You, like, facil- have you facilitated workshops? How did that go? What did you learn? These are more important things to me as a hiring manager than how good are your sketch skills or design software skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that was our that was our last question for you. Uh, we wanted to take a second and thank you. For, yeah, thank you for, for coming on. This has been great. Thank you so much. This is Mocket. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. And join us next time. As always, if you're interested in learning more about how government and tech collide, visit MetroStar.com and follow us on our socials.